Alright, uh, I'm gonna do it. Three, two, one. Oh my goodness! Good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you. I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is Tuesday, October 1st. My gosh, guys, gals, <laughs> we made it to October. I can't believe that. Uh, I just had the most incredible weekend of my life. Uh, one of them, at least. You know, it's up there. Right at the top, um, <laughs> I flew down to Salt Lake City, Utah, and broadcast Washington State versus Utah. It was incredible. I posted the entire broadcast on every feed, iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube. You can listen to it if you want. I'm very proud of the work we did down there. Me and Sean O'Connor, he's an amazing broadcaster, and uh, my partner, he's awesome. Uh, I also, while I was down in Salt Lake City, I got to meet some of my subscribers, some of the people who have uh, supported me the most over the years. I got to meet a Patreon supporter. Like, just my gosh, how incredible that was. And, um, you know, it's funny too. Right now, uh, I, I looked at the metric literally right before I record. We are, I say we because it's not just me. I'm, I make the show alone, right? But I, I might be the only person who works on the content, but we're in this together. I, we really have not been alone on this journey. Uh, we are 14 people away from reaching 100,000 subscribers on YouTube. And I, 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 I couldn't be more. Um, the word is comfortable, actually. I think this is the most comfortable I felt recording in a long time between doing a live broadcast and reaching a number that feels validating to me. It, it's so cool. And uh, I just want to be very, very clear. I, I, I'm so thankful. I mean, I got to meet some of you guys this weekend and it, it was uh, unbelievable. I, I just, uh, I, I want to say thank you to every single person who watches or listens to the show, every view every comment, angry, hatred, I don't care. Every person who participates in Strong Opinion Sports, watching, listening, commenting, all of it, has, has made an impact on my life, and I am, I'm so, so thankful. Um, you know, I, I, I love this show. I'm about to cry. I, I, I really thought I could do this without crying. Um, I, I, I've battled so hard to get here, and I remember starting in a basement, you know, um, this, this actually, this basement, a different part of the basement, another room, making horrible videos. They weren't called Strong Opinion Sports. They were awful. And I, I was a loser who dropped out of college, and my family <laughs> supported me, but my, a lot of people from my school did not. I was a, a loser making crappy videos, and there were professors who didn't believe in me who said I, I was bad at this and that I could never make money on YouTube, that you can't make money on YouTube. How out of touch were they? Uh, this is my full-time job, and it's my passion. It's my love. And all those people who didn't believe in me to this point, um, you guys, <laughs> you guys proved them wrong by watching my show and listening to my show. And I, I that's unbelievable, man. I'm so thankful to you guys. Um, you know, I can't say it enough. Thank you so much to everybody who supported me in the pursuit of my dreams. And that's it right there. It's not, you know, <laughs> there's no end goal here. There's no, I mean, look, it'd be cool to do Monday Night Football. I'd love to broadcast a game at Georgia between like Georgia LSU or something. I'd love to have a gigantic show and a team of people and you get out of this basement, maybe at least have my own apartment would be a great start. Um, but it's, it's the pursuit that is so fun, right? It's not, there's not an end goal. It's the chasing of the dream that is the best part of this entire thing and continuing to make a show and, you know, having hope for the future that it'll be even better and brighter someday and enjoying every moment along the way. I, I just cannot say thank you enough to everybody who's participated in this show. It means the world to me. And I, you know, I, <laughs> I, every episode I talk about my brother Zane, I'll get, I'll do it again later. Um, 
I wish Zane could see this. My, my brother took his life three years ago. And I think he'd be so proud of me. I do. I think he would. I think that if he could see um, what Strong Opinion Sports has become, what I think I've grown into as a person, and uh, flip, man, I didn't want to do this. I really, I'm going to just keep recording because I think it is a cool moment that it's awesome. I didn't mean to cry. It's weird to record something and then put it out a video of you crying, but uh, <laughs> this, this has been, you know, the, the best two years of my life. I really love Strong Opinion Sports. And uh, wow, they're really coming. Uh, it's just awesome, man. It's just so awesome. I love this show. And I love doing it. And so thank you so much. And uh, I wish, <laughs> you know, I, I probably, I want to transition now to something better, but I, I just got to hang on to this moment for a minute because it's hard for me. Uh, I, I just, uh, you know, what, what we're going to do is talk about my brother, actually, because I, I often bury it later in the show. And it's actually... The most important part of this podcast, I think, is not the sports. It's this one message that if you're struggling, please go get help. Um, the, the catalyst to me making a podcast and getting here was my brother's death. <laughs> you know, Zane wanted to do a podcast with me. And I hope it sounds okay that I'm crying. I don't know. I, you know, I, um, <laughs> my brother wanted to do a podcast with me for years. And I, I never listened to him and I never listened to podcasts until the night he died. The night he died. I listened to my very first podcast ever and I fell in love with the art form and I thought it was the best ever. And, uh, you know, the, the, the two hard lessons I learned when my brother died were one, you know, if we're struggling, please go get help. My brother never talked to anybody. My brother never shared his struggles. And, uh, one day I found him dead on the floor of his bedroom, bedroom, you know, and, uh, I, I just encourage everybody for listening and you're having a hard time. Don't suffer in silence. Please go get help. Go talk to a professional Please go get help. And uh, the other painful lesson I learned in that whole experience <clears throat> was uh, I wish I'd done a better job reaching out to my brother and making sure he was okay and that he knew he was loved and that I'd be there. I was there for him when he was having a hard time. And so please make sure the people in your life know you love them and uh, make sure they know they're cared for. Uh, my best friends in the world helped me this entire time to get to Strong Opinion Sports this this you know really cool milestone that is meaningful to me. I didn't think I didn't realize how meaningful it was till we got here. Um, and you know the suicide hotline is one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five. Forget sports for a minute. The most important part of this entire deal is that if you're struggling, you go get help. And you talk to them and you make sure the people in your life know how much you love them. Because I I I don't think I did a good enough job with my brother making sure he knew his love. It's not my fault. He he chose his his path. I've dealt with it. I've cried and journaled for hours about it. But I do wish he was here today to see what this show has become and what I've become as a person. I think I'm a much better person than I once was. And uh man, I, I'm just uh I don't know. I, I, I cried on the show. I did it, guys. I didn't mean to. Uh it <laughs> I think it makes a touching moment. I I, I acknowledge that you know it's pretty cool, actually. But I, I didn't mean to. That was not my goal. <laughs> and um, and I was just thank, thankful for my family and the people who supported me along the way. Um, I got to clear my throat. I'm actually going to, I think, take a short break. Uh, no, no, I'm good. Sorry, my throat's probably gross. I apologize to the sounds you might have heard. I'm going to cut them out if I can. Um, <sighs> all right. Let's now jump into sports. The story of the weekend to me was quarterback leadership. 
I was at a college game this weekend. I was broadcasting Washington State versus Utah. And what I noticed and picked up from that experience was that you can see and you can hear leadership. It's very obvious when you're standing on the sideline of a college football game. Oh, that dude's a leader. That dude's not. You see it. People are clapping and encouraging each other or they're talking to each other. It's vocal. It's, it's an active thing you have to participate in. Leadership is active. And uh, that's the one thing after this weekend I learned. I am done with shy quarterbacks, quiet quarterbacks, quarterbacks who are not active, participatory leaders. That's a hard word to say. If I don't hear you and I don't see you, you're not a quarterback I want to believe in and, and buy into. I just, I'm done with that. You know, I played to the running back one time. He was awesome, man. Great guy. Did every little thing right. Had a heart of gold. A work ethic that was really inspiring. And he was always in the right spot. He was. Gave tremendous effort. Ran really hard. Hit his holes hard. Made great cuts. He picked up blitzes, which is incredible for a running back. He did everything right. He did. I called him Mr. Reliable. I love him. I love him to this day. But you have to ask a hard question. Is he a great leader? Is he a leader? Period, right? Is he a leader? And the answer is kind of. Kind of a leader. He's a good example for sure. He, uh, you want guys who are showing other people how to act and how to carry themselves. But you don't want a quarterback who is a kind of leader. You look at that guy and you go, is he a leader? Kind of. At least I wouldn't want that guy to be the leader of my football team. A kind of leader is a neutral presence. They do nothing negative. They're not, a, they're not bad at all. You, can, you can't pin that on them. But they also don't lift up the people around them. A couple people, a couple quarterbacks, really, really impressed me this weekend. Number one was Gardner Minshew, the Jacksonville Jaguars quarterback. You guys know how much he means to me. It's so exciting to me that he's indeed the lead story of today's podcast. Um, I'm not going to read you his stats. Maybe I will later. They don't matter, though, to the story of what happened. Gardner Minshew struggled early in this game. He played against the, Bar- uh, the Denver Broncos in Denver. 76,000 people. They're all very loud. They wanted him to fail. He was sacked a bunch at one point. The Jaguars and Gardner were down 17-3. to And they fought all the way back in the fourth quarter. They had the lead in the fourth quarter until the Broncos took it away. At one point, the Broncos score with a minute and 34 seconds left to go in the fourth quarter. A minute 34. Then the Broncos took a one-point lead over Gardner Minshew and the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's a gut check, right? It's a, it's a hard thing to do. You go, oh, how am I going to respond to this moment? So Gardner Minshew got the ball with a minute 27 seconds left. In Denver, 76,000 people, they're all loud. You can't hear anything. And he drives his team all the way down the field, scores, they kick a field goal, he wins the game. You can see and you can hear great leadership. It's on the sidelines. You watch Gardner Minshew. He's clapping. He's encouraging. You hear sound. You can hear the guy. You can see the guy. He's rallying his football team, continuing them, picking up their spirits, causing them to fight harder and continue to fight. He fought back after a rough start. When you start poorly, it's easy to give up, easy to lay over. And by the way, in case you're curious, his stats were he was 19 for 33 passing at a 57% completion percentage, 57.6, make it sound a little better. It's not that great. He had 213 yards passing, two touchdowns, no interceptions. 
He had a solid day, right? Not great. He, he battled back for sure from a, what was a horrible day, became an all right day where they won the game. He played pretty well in the second half, though. I will acknowledge that. And, you know, the stats are not the story here. Gardner Minshew's leadership against the Denver Broncos, that is the story to me. He's only a rookie, and yet he galvanized his team and led them to victory. What does the word galvanize mean? It means to shock or excite people into taking action. To shock or excite people into taking action. That's what Gardner Minshew does for the Jaguars locker room. That is just, oh, man. How awesome is that? So Gardner Minshew is one guy who really impressed me. There's another person who I believe deserves admiration today. Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield. I know. I, I've, I ignore, I've been critical of Baker Mayfield. Everybody has. Everybody's criticized the Browns. And this week, Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns found themselves in a rough spot. Themselves. themselves. English is hard, okay? Um, <laughs> people doubted them. They were one and two. Coming off, you know, they, they didn't look pretty in the past. Heavily under criticism. Some people called Baker Mayfield overrated. And many people were making fun of his coach, myself included. And what Baker Mayfield did was rally his football team and put a smackdown on the Baltimore Ravens. That is awesome. I know this is a bit cliche. I know talking about effort and heart and all this stuff is cliche, but it does matter. The game of football is heavily dependent on emotion. Can you control your emotions? Can you fight back when you have emotional setbacks? Effort is so important in football. You're running the ball. It's all about effort. Effort. Can you dig deep in? Do you have hope? That's the key word. Do you have hope that your effort's going to work, that it's going to work out, that you have a chance? Baker Mayfield's leadership on the sidelines against the Ravens, my guess is this week throughout practice, I wasn't there, but my guess is he's rallying his team. He elevates, and this is not a guess. You watch what happened. He elevates his teammates. He elevates the people around him on the sideline, high-fiving people, encouraging people, lifting them up, battling and fighting his butt off. I almost said a word I'm not supposed to say on the show. Fighting his butt off to make it happen. You can see and you can hear great leadership. During the Giants' comeback last week against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, they found out a lot about their new quarterback, Daniel Jones. Giants players said they saw a whole new side to him. Like he came alive, had fire, had passion. In the moment, he brought them back to a comeback. That is what I want to see from a quarterback. What the stories I want to hear about a quarterback. There are quarterbacks that you never hear that about. You never hear that about some guys. Tom Brady had a bad game on Sunday, by the way. Yesterday, two days ago, Tom Brady was awful. 18 for 39 passing. That's a 46% completion percentage. The benchmark is 60. That's below, far below average. He had no touchdowns, 150 yards passing. That's it. And one interception. But what did Tom Brady do for his team? He fought. He battled. He encouraged. He high-fived them. He's in the moment trying to lift his team up, trying to battle, and ended up winning that game. Let's go! And kept owning his mistakes, fighting hard. That is what I like to see from a quarterback. So I had had the privilege this weekend of going down to Salt Lake City, a broadcast at Utah, Washington State. And I was in a unique position because on, you know, if you don't know, Washington State is Gardner Minshew's former college. And I got to see that team face-to-face, in person, without their former leader, Gardner Minshew. So I watched his former team on Saturday, and the very next day, 
I got to watch Gardner on national TV in the NFL. Man, it was a stark contrast. It was hard to watch at times. Washington State's new quarterback is talented. He can throw the ball all over the field. He's got a, he's got a really good arm. But his lack of leadership was discouraging. The new quarterback at Washington State is not a great leader. Utah challenged them, and Washington State never hit them back. Instead of arching their back and fighting even harder and punching back, they cowered and gave up. When he struggled, that quarterback, I'm not going to name his name. There's no reason to. When he struggled, he cowered, and he shrank, and he got quiet, and his body language is terrible. Arms to his side, head down. Sometimes playing catch by himself, but never with his teammates, never around his teammates, always by himself. Not encouraging, not clapping, not lifting the people up around him. That's horrible. Horrible leadership from a quarterback. That's the opposite of what I want and what I believe is right. Gardner Minshew (laughs) lifted his teammates up, and that's what Washington State missed on Saturday. His old team without him missed their leader. So I am done. I am done ever. Believing in quarterbacks who are poor leaders, who don't lift their teammates up, who don't encourage. If I can't hear you and I can't see you, that doesn't cut it for me. I'm I'm literally just not going to believe in guys who don't do that anymore. All quarterbacks should lead by example. Everyone's going to say, well, you know, leading by example is important. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Leading by example is important. But that's not an impressive thing. Every quarterback should lead by example. That's part of the role of playing quarterback. And when someone calls, here's a great example, I don't mean to throw him under the bus, when, when someone calls Marcus Mariota a, someone who leads by example, all that means is he's quiet because they can't find anything else good to say other than, well, he does the right stuff. Every quarterback should do the right stuff, but I want to hear a quarterback speak up, encourage your teammates. This is why I believe in Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm. Georgia quarterback Jake Fromm is awesome. He does not have the most gifted arm. In fact, Jacob Eason, the quarterback he beat out, who's at Washington, University of Washington, has a far better arm than Jake Fromm. But Jake Fromm is a galvanizing leader who lifts up the people around him, who rallies, who fights, who's there in big moments. His presence is super important. Does your quarterback have presence? Can you hear him? Can you see him? What kind of leader are they? They lead by example. To me, anymore, that's not good enough. I am done with quiet lead by example quarterbacks. There's a better option. Because in the fourth quarter, when your team needs help, when your team needs someone to pick them up, a quiet lead-by-example guy isn't going to get the job done. I want to hear you, and I want to see you. Those are the leaders I will invest my energy into and pay attention to and talk about. Because if you don't lead that way, I don't think you're going to make it happen in the fourth quarter when it matters most. Oh, That was a passionate Passionate. I think it's because I cried at the beginning of the stupid show. Crying, and then here we are. And um, I, I very much believe everything I just said, man. I, I just, oh, you, you cannot be one of those quiet guys. You, you don't have a big impact. You don't. I want to now shift gears to the Minnesota Vikings qu- quarterback. Um, my gosh, <laughs> my nose is still. I cried, dude. Like I, I sorry, my nose is full of. Junk now. (laughs) I feel so bad. I feel so bad for Minnesota Vikings fans. In case you missed it on Sunday, the Vikings and Kirk Cousins, their quarterback, 
lost <laughs> to a backup quarterback. The Bears, with backup quarterback Chase Daniel, beat the snot out of the Vikings. And look, it wasn't like they won 45-0, but it did not feel like the Vikings were in that game at any moment on Sunday. And what's even more, to add insult to injury, to make it a little bit worse, Kirk and the Vikings lose to a backup. And then Teddy Bridgewater, the former Vikings quarterback, wins on Sunday night football against Dallas. And look, it's not that Kirk Cousins, the Vikings quarterback, was completely terrible. He was 27 for 36 passing at 233 yards. That's it. Not awful stats. But the numbers aren't enough. And what's more, the deeper thing behind the numbers is that, again, for like the, I don't know how manyth time, Kirk Cousins wasn't good enough. Again. Again. In a big time game against a really good team, Kirk Cousins wasn't good enough. He shrank. He didn't deliver. He had a fumble, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. Held onto the ball way too long. It's not working. And when I look at Kirk Cousins on the side, then when I watch him, he looks stressed. He has like a manic nervousness to him. He does not look comfortable. He doesn't look like he's okay being there in that moment. And, and I think to me, it's a form of performance anxiety. You know, there, there's some discomfort there where in big moments he struggles and isn't comfortable. The number now, the statistic now, is that he is 5-27 and 27 against teams with winning records. My gosh, that is embarrassing and awful. And not only does he lose those games, he regularly, in big moments, he gets other playoff teams, big divisional games. What does he do? He plays badly. He shrinks. He doesn't make a name for himself. He doesn't fight. He's not there. He's not memorable. He's not good enough. He signed a huge contract, and to me it looks like the pressure of that contract is weighing heavily on Kirk Cousins. He wants to succeed, and it feels like everybody wants him to succeed as well, right? Nobody, I think, I think it's hard to not want Kirk Cousins to succeed. A lot of people hate him, but they hate him because he fails. <laughs> everybody wants him to, he's like a little engine that could, right? Does anybody hate the runt, the guy who wasn't quite good? Does anybody hate that guy? People, we love an underdog. And to me, Kirk Cousins has always been an underdog. Picked later in the draft, was never really wanted by the Redskins. Now he's the Vikings, and he's still not quite good enough. And we're like, oh, man, I just want good for this guy, and he just is not delivering. The stress and the nervousness leaks out of him. You see it on his face. He looks horrified. He looked horrified on Sunday against the Bears. And I feel sad for him. I feel sad for Vikings fans. It's a sad day in Minnesota. And, and right now, the, the honest truth and the, the painful truth for Vikings fans is that I think the Vikings would have a better chance of winning right now if they had Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback. Remember the story Teddy Bridgewater had a horrible leg, leg injury. The Vikings moved on from him. And the Saints took him in. The Saints took in Teddy Bridgewater eventually. And now he's in a much better place. Teddy Bridgewater is with a great roster and a great team. Winning games. <laughs> And what's weird, what's even more bizarre about Teddy Bridgewater's story is that it sounds just like Drew Brees's. Drew Brees had, was a, a franchise quarterback, we thought, with the Chargers at Sandy, in San Diego at the time. He got hurt. 
They replaced him with Phillip Rivers, discarded him. He found a home in New Orleans because that was the team that wanted him and believed in him. Sounds just like Teddy's journey, just, you know, flip the Chargers with the Vikings. Add a stop in New York with the Jets, and you got Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Brees have the same story. Encouraging start, a scary legender. The team moves on, found a new home in New Orleans, and I can tell you right now, I think the Vikings would rather have the guy they discarded to New Orleans than Kirk Cousins right now. I'm going to read you a couple of quotes. These are Kirk Cousins, uh, one of his teammates, and then his head coach. These are things that people in the Vikings locker room are saying about Kirk Cousins right now. A name that's hard to say, by the way. Kirk sounds too much like Kurt. I swear I'm trying to say Kirk. So at some point, this is what Adam Thielen, a wide receiver for the Vikings, said about his quarterback. At some point, you're not going to be able to run the ball for 180 yards even with the best running back in the NFL. That's when you have to be able to throw the ball. You have to be able to hit deep balls. Kind of a shot. And, and by the way, the Vikings didn't have a great running game against the, the Bears because guess what? The Bears are incredible at stopping the run. He continues. He later said, he's, you know, uh, Adam Thielen was talking about a pass that Kirk Cousins overthrew deep downfield. It probably would have been a touchdown if Kirk hadn't missed him. He said, Adam Thielen said, he made a great read of finding me open and just didn't complete the pass. It's as simple as that. Cut and dry, very honest. He's not doing good enough. That's receiver Adam Thielen. This is the Vikings head coach, Mike Zimmer, talking about his quarterback. Mike Zimmer says this. He says, there are times you just have to pull the trigger and believe you're going to make the throw. So they don't think Kirk Cousins believes in himself. That's what I hear. And not only do they don't think Kirk believes in himself, they don't believe in Kirk. And what they're doing is applying pressure on Kirk Cousins. Every time they talk that openly and that honestly, the pressure gets ratcheted up a little bit more. You ever, uh, what's the thing on the back? When you load up a car and you're trying to move stuff and you ratchet it. I did that one time. I put a mattress on top of my mom's car. I was helping her move. And I ratcheted it and I ratcheted it and I ratcheted it and it got tighter and tighter and tighter. Kirk Cousins Everything is getting, I don't, I don't know what happens. Your, your head, your shoulders, I'm sure his, his shoulders hurt really bad. They're all tight and tense because he's just getting tighter and tighter and tighter and more stressed and more nervous. And in a perfect world, all the pressure created on Kirk Cousins and put on him and that he creates for himself. In a perfect world, he can deal with that wonderfully. And he doesn't feel the massive amounts of pressure that are really there for him. Pressure from his teammates, pressure from his coaches. And I think that elite quarterbacks, Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, I'll throw it. He's there. He really is there now. You watch Patrick Mahomes in a big, stressful moment. Dude, smiling, having fun. He's relaxed. He's like a kid playing flag football. Not a care in the world because he believes he's going to work out. And the pressure that moment isn't on him. When you watch Kirk Cousins again, he looks scared and nervous and sweaty. I think we've learned by now that Kirk Cousins usually stinks under pressure. And right now, I think the pressure of this situation and the pressure that his teammates are putting on him and the pressure that his coach is putting on him, rightfully so, is too much. I don't believe in Kirk Cousins. I think he's going to crack and going to fail. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. Um, I had it. You know what? Actually, I got one more topic. I'll just do it because it's a... It's very short. It's literally one page. Um, 
California passed a new law that allows college athletes to make money from sponsorships and endorsements. And my knee-jerk reaction is that I love that. I think that's awesome. I have no opposition to that. Um, I need to do more research, though. I'll be very clear. This is not my final thought on this. I want to say more. I want to get in-depth and do research and figure out what the law really means and what it happens and uh, what is... I don't know everything about it, right? I want to be more informed before I really tell you how I feel about this. Um, But at first glance, at the very first glance, I'm all in because a USC football player that has 100,000 followers on Instagram is now able to receive sponsorship money. Say, hey, I really like this highlighter. (laughs) You should buy it. Swipe up to get it. They paid me $20,000 to promote this highlighter. Whatever it is, right? Whatever the ad is, college football players in California can now use their platform to make money. I'd be a hypocrite if I said I didn't like that because that's what I'm trying to do. I get it, man. I'm all for it. Imagine the money Zion Williamson could have made last year at Duke if he was allowed to make sponsorship money. He would have probably stayed in college. Like, I'm good, man. I'm millions. Of, I'm, I'm a millionaire. I have tons of press. I'm killing it. I'm really, I'm really talented here. He might have stayed at Duke, actually, if he was getting paid there because <laughs> who knows in the NBA if he's going to be a star. Probably, right? Probably. But when he's already dominating in college, guaranteed to keep playing well, getting hundreds of thousands of dollars from shoe companies, why would he ever leave? What we do not need, this is what we do not, do not need is we don't need colleges putting players on salary. I don't, no, nah, I don't need that. But I think the few that actually could make money from their likeness, the ones with hundreds of thousands of followers and notoriety, because I don't know how you pay people the same at Eastern Michigan at Alabama, because the revenue streams are totally different. You'd have to, there, there's just, you can't make a system that's equal for everybody. But the, the one fair system is, <laughs> and I don't. Uh, this is why I don't like this whole topic. It's a little bit political. But capitalism is very honest. If people want your product, it, it, how, do I, how do I put this in the best way? It's supply and demand. Maybe, maybe, not, not even the right way I mean this. Um, my point is that a kid at Eastern Michigan who has no following wouldn't get sponsorships because uh, <laughs> nobody cares. Zion Williamson would, and not every college athlete would get paid from endorsements. It's only the ones who are really popular, who lean into it, who have a personality, who are famous in high school. Whatever the reason is, that person should get rewarded for their hard work of building a following by being paid with a sponsorship. I'm all in on that. Now, the one thing that screws this up is recruiting. You go, well, could this mean UCLA and USC are going to get better recruits than other schools? Because a top recruit in the country will now go to USC because he can make money in college where every other college can't say that outside of the state of California. And yes, it does screw up recruiting. I, I think that's, that's if, if I was a kid in Alabama, right? And I have 200,000 Instagram followers and I have a bunch of offers to do sponsorships. And I know that if I go to Auburn or Alabama, can't get money from that. But if I go to USC, I can. I'm going to USC to make hundreds of thousands of dollars. That makes sense to play football, to make money doing it in college. Absolutely. So does, does endorsements and do paid endorsements screw up recruiting? Yes, absolutely. And what's either going to have to happen is, well, first of all, by the way, by making that statement, we act like recruiting isn't already unfair. It is. Recruiting is super unfair. right? That, yes, it's unfair. And what I think is going to have to happen is a reaction from other states to go, Alabama to go, hey, to keep up in recruiting, we'd better make it so our players can make endorsements too. And the dominoes will fall very quickly because, oh, 
yeah, we got to react to this. We can't let California be the only place getting all the best players in the country because that's the only place they can make money. I think college athletes have a pretty good, I, I would I would love to have my college paid for. I would. I'd love to get to play football. You know, I, I paid a lot, a lot of money in my lifetime to play football in college. And, and not, I didn't pay it out of my pocket. I took loans out. I have a lot of, like probably like $100,000 in loans because I played college football at a D3 level where you're not on scholarship. School's like $60,000 a year. And my family was not rich. I lived in a trailer park growing up. So yeah, I took out giant loans. I would have loved to have had a scholarship. But I think the people that can make money from sponsorships should. That's my only point. I, there's no need for Eastern Michigan to pay their players. Maybe if you want to give them a bigger stipend so they have more money for food and can buy video games and rent, who knows, right? Or help out their family back home. Like, it's really sad and, and very screwed up that a player at Ole Miss, you know, his mom's at home, horribly impoverished. Maybe she has cancer. Who knows? Like, whatever circumstance you can think of that's really sad. And he's making a billion dollars for the school and he can't send his mom back a hundred dollars because he doesn't have it because he's broke playing college football that's a heartbreaking story that's really sad and maybe you can raise stipends a little bit so that guy can send his mom money i'm all for that but we don't need to be paying college athletes sixty thousand whatever the money is a bunch of money a year but let the ones who have a giant following make money through sponsorships i'm all for that i support that i think every state We'll have to quickly react to it and make that a law. Otherwise, recruiting is going to send everybody with a big following to California where they can make money and play college football. Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to talk about week four. My takeaways from week four of the NFL. We'll talk about Jameis Winston. We will talk about Teddy Bridgewater. And then at the end of the show, we will do Ask Zach. Um, Guys, my name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right All right, we are back. Um, This weekend, I had a really cool opportunity. I got to fly down to Salt Lake City, Utah, and broadcast Washington State versus Utah. It was awesome. It was so much fun. Um, I did color commentary. A a good friend of mine, Sean O'Connor, did the play-by-play. He's awesome. He's a really true professional. He carries himself really well. He's dedicated to his craft, and he puts in all the work behind the scenes. I, I trust him and believe in him. And I really wanted my first broadcast ever to be with Sean O'Connor. I just love him. And I'd go to bat for him. He's a great broadcaster. And so I, I want to talk about what happened. I loved it. I loved so much getting to broadcast and do a college football game. And I don't mean to toot my own horn. I do a little bit. I think I'm pretty good at it. I, I feel really confident in my ability. And I'm, I'm really proud of the work I've done. I think I'm good at that. I'm good at color commentary. And so I put the full broadcast on YouTube. It's on iTunes. It's on SoundCloud. It's on everywhere, Spotify, everywhere you can find my podcast. That same feed of Strong Opinion Sports, I put the broadcast in from Utah. And uh, right now, I have a new goal in my career. I want to have a side gig. You know, Strong Opinion Sports, my full-time job, I love it. On weekends, here's a new thing I want to do. I want to go broadcast football games. And specifically, I want to broadcast and do color commentary for the XFL. I think I fit the XFL really, really well. First of all, I love football. But second of all, the XFL is a league full of young players who are trying to make a name for themselves. That's exactly what I am. I identify with that. I'm a young broadcaster trying to make a name for myself. I love football and I love being a part of something and building it. I would love to invest all I have in energy 
and time and promotion into the XFL saying, hey, I believe, because I do, I really do believe in the product of the XFL. I have friends who are playing in it and I will want to be a part of building something and doing something really cool. I have 100,000 subscribers. I have other, I have even more followers on iTunes, Instagram, SoundCloud, Spotify, all combined, over 100,000. And I want to use my platform to build and promote the XFL. I'm, I'm, in, I'm all in on that. That'd be awesome. It'd be really, really fun. So that, that's the message for the XFL. If you're listening to this and you're a fan of mine, I don't like the word fan, but you are. Like if you listen to Strong Abandoned Sports, you, you're a fan of the show. And so I'm asking for everybody's help. If you like SOS and you like me and you believe in me, please do me a giant favor. Let's send a message to the XFL. So far, it's already happened a little bit. All my Instagram followers went out and they tagged me in a bazillion posts on the XFL you know, Instagram account saying, hire Zach Schaumler, bring in Zach Schaumler. Yes, I'm all in. So tag me at Zach Schaumler on all the XFL social media. Say, hire Zach Schaumler because I want in. I really, really want to be a part of building the XFL. So I'm asking, you know, please ask them and tell them to hire me. And then do me a giant favor. Share this video with the XFL, with your friends. I want to get this video out to the world. I believe I'm a good broadcaster. I believe in my ability. And I have proof. You know, it's one thing to do a prepared segment like a film analysis video. I have live proof of me doing it at a football game showing I can do it. I, I am capable. I have the chops and I think I'm good at it. And so I want in. If the XFL is listening, I want in. I want to broadcast for you. I believe in your league. I believe in the XFL and I want to be a part of building it. Please let me in. I'm in. I'm sold. I want to be a part of the XFL. I want to broadcast for you guys. So guys, it might not happen. They might not want me. Who knows? But I'm going to do everything I can to make it happen. And so I, I just, it, I, <laughs> I so badly wanted, I, I had so much fun. It's the most alive I've felt in years. And I was like, I, I feel like I'm made for this. It's just a blast. And so I'm asking you, help me by sharing this with your friends, telling them about it. And uh, remember that it'd be a, a cool weekend gig. I'm still going to do Strong Opinion Sports Monday through Friday. And then on weekends, I'd go travel and uh, broadcast games. And don't worry, throughout the week, I'd prepare for the game. I did a lot of, I, I have a system now, and I did it last week, where I prepared throughout the week for the game. The game came. I did it. It was awesome. Please help me grow by telling your friends about the show. And if you want me to be a part of the XFL broadcast team, let's make it happen. Tag them and stuff. Send this video to them. Share this with everybody. Let's get the word out. I want to be a part of the XFL broadcast team. Please help me get there. Uh, okay, on uh, <laughs> let's talk about the Buccaneers quarterback. On Sunday, the Buccaneers quarterback, Jameis Winston, played fantastic against the LA Rams. He made numerous really good throws downfield. He's got great timing, man. He just he does he's really elite throwing the ball. He's got he's great against man coverage. And I just was impressed. He threw the ball everywhere, like a bazillion times. I was like, wow, he's just throwing the ball all over this field and very successfully. Now, he made a couple throws in a tight window, so I went, that's a big-time NFL throw. And that's what we've seen from Jameis Winston over the years is flashes of brilliance. And then he falls from grace, and he's the normal guy you see on Sundays. He did have an interception that was returned for a touchdown, kind of unfortunate, kind of a bad decision. But all in all, these are the statistics from Jameis Winston's performance on Sunday. He was 28 for 41 passing. That's a 68% completion percentage. Had four touchdowns. One interception. They were not holding back. I mean, it's not like he got there being safe. He really was throwing the ball all over the yard. They beat the Rams. The Buccaneers beat the Rams 55-40. to 40. 
And I think at a glance, it's easy to write this game off, actually. I know it seems silly because he had a great performance. Oh, my gosh. But that's what Jameis does. Is every once in a while Jameis puts together a game, you go, oh, my goodness. That's a really good performance. And then, again, he falls from grace. And that's who he is. Every once in a while, he has a great game. But for the most part, over the course of his career, Jameis Winston has been a disappointment. So the question about him is, can he be consistent? That is what we need to see from Jameis. Like, I, I, I understand those criticisms of people who, the criticisms from people who don't believe in this performance. I think Jameis needs to establish himself as the guy. Right now, he's, he's the guy for now. But Jameis Winston's contract is up at the end of this year. And, you know, they have really, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have shown us, yeah, we're not sold on Jameis either. But I think there's evidence that Jameis Winston's success is going to continue and going to keep getting better. He, there's a trajectory his season has fallen so far, has followed so far. Uh, an upward trajectory, better and better and better during every single game. So at the beginning of the year, game one, the Buccaneers versus the 49ers, I guess against the 49ers is proper English there. He had one touchdown and three interceptions. It was ugly. I was like, oh, that's a bad start for Jameis. Wow. And granted, maybe the 49ers defense is fantastic, but again, even against a great defense, that's not a performance. You can never have that stat line as a quarterback and not as someone who wants to be considered an elite quarterback or a franchise quarterback. Game two was also ugly. The Buccaneers played the Panthers, and they the Buccaneers had a really safe game plan. It looked like they didn't trust Jameis. Threw for one touchdown. It felt like the Buccaneers, again, their play calling is very conservative. They ran the ball a lot. I like the word is trust. They didn't trust Jameis with the ball. Now, week three, they lost to the Giants. Jameis Winston lost to the Giants, but he, he looked a lot better. Had a 62% completion percentage, threw for 380 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. And so you see a trend through weeks one through three, steadily getting better every single game. And then, of course, week four, he was fantastic, lights out. You know, four touchdowns, one interception, a 68% completion percentage. And so it's time for me to decide, will this continue or not? Will the trend keep working upwards? Because the question about Jameis is, will he establish himself as the long-term guy that the Buccaneers should offer a contract and believe in? I'm actually going to say yes. I think he is the guy, and I think that he's on an upward trajectory that's not going to stop. I might be wrong. Happy to be wrong. But there's a reason I believe in him. It's his head coach. Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians, the Buccaneers head coach, has worked with Peyton Manning. He worked with Andrew Luck as a rookie, worked with Big Ben, worked with Carson Palmer, got Carson Palmer to have the best years of his life as a quarterback. Bruce Arians is great with quarterbacks. And not like some guru. I hate that term, quarterback guru. Yeah, Hugh Jackson was a quarterback, quote-unquote, guru. That means nothing. Bruce Arians is a no BS kind of guy. He doesn't deal with, he doesn't tolerate nonsense. That's great for Jameis. He also knows his offense. And clearly, they're having, finally having some success. And you can really write off the first game with the 49ers and go, well, you know, hey, there's an argument that can be made. It was his first game with a new coach. He was learning the system. It's forgivable. So will he become the guy, the long-term guy in Tampa Bay. Some would argue, Tampa Bay fans that like him might argue, he is the guy. What are you talking about, Zach? Well, again, I would say your team doesn't believe in him because if they did, they would have given him a contract extension 
a long time ago. Right now, the Buccaneers do not have a contract with Jameis Winston for next year. He's going to be a free agent at the end of this year. So we've seen flashes in the past, flashes of brilliance from Jameis Winston. A lot of good moments. The question about Jameis is, will it continue? If it does steadily, consistently continue, if he plays like he has the last two weeks, the rest of this year, then absolutely Jameis Winston is the guy and should be offered a long-term contract in Tampa Bay. I'll even give him two games. He can slip up for two more games. That's still better than a lot of other quarterbacks. But from here on out, it's got to be buttoned up really, really consistently. If he plays consistent the rest of the year, there's 12 games left for the Buccaneers. If the next 12 games, he plays 10 of them, fantastic. He's the guy, and he deserves a long-term contract in Tampa Bay. I'll track that. Guarantee you, week 17, we'll say, okay, those 10, those 12 games, we needed 10 to be good from Jameis. Did he do it or did he not? If he does, I'll stand by what I said. He's the guy. If he doesn't, I will bring down the hammer and be honest about Jameis Winston. He's not consistent enough for them to believe in. I, I think it's going to work. I think he is going to deliver. Great head coach. I think he can play. The talent's all there. Talent has never been the question about Jameis. Consistency has, and I think he can elevate himself and become more consistent because of his head coach, Bruce Arians. Or I need water. My throat, my mouth is so dry. Dude, crying at the beginning of this podcast threw me off so badly. So badly. It just like ruined my whole day. I was like, what the heck is going on? I don't feel right. I feel comfortable. Like my nose was all runny. I had to go do like a neti pot where I run water through your nose to try to clear it out. My throat feels like I got... You know, I'm allergic to dairy, like very allergic to dairy. <laughs> and uh, my throat feels like I got dairied. This bowl of crap, like phlegm. Ugh, it's very sad. You probably don't want to hear that, do you? Because now all you can hear is my phlegm in my throat. So I'm not going to, eh, why not? I'm honest, right? I am who I am. Take it or leave it. Maybe you'll leave it. But I'm not going to pretend to be something I'm not. I'm not going to pretend. I'm not going to, I just, I am who I am. Take it or leave it. Let's now talk about the Saints quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater. So Saints quarterback, Teddy Bridgewater, really, really impressed me week four against the Dallas Cowboys. Now, officially, by the way, he's Drew Brees' backup. He's not the starter in New Orleans. But he is currently earning the right to become the next guy. So on Sunday, it was 23 for 30 passing. That's a 76% completion percentage had 193 yards zero touchdowns and an interception but I will also say the interception was not his fault hit a guy in the hands it bounced off his guy's hands up in the air got intercepted it was actually a really good throw should not have been intercepted he should have had no interceptions on the day but even with that I acknowledge the numbers from Teddy Bridgewater are not flashy they're not incredible they're very they're mundane. I mean, they're very consistent, though. A high completion percentage. I like that. But I, I just I watch what he does with the Saints, and he runs the Saints' offense so well. He's just in rhythm. He get, he puts the ball in the spots where they need it. He doesn't need to be the the you know Patrick Mahomes of their offense. Their offense doesn't call for that. They take what the defense gives them. Steal a lot of yards. Have really well designed screen passes, and Teddy Bridgewater executes them flawlessly. And I also want to say, you know, the, my one doubt last week about Teddy Bridgewater. I said, I talked about this against the Seahawks. I said, there's not really 
a great completion downfield into a tight window. I, I kept waiting, and it never happened last week. Well, against the Cowboys, there were two. I was like, oh, wow. Down the right sideline to Michael Thomas on back shoulder fades. I was like, you know what? Against man coverage and a tight window, that's a great throw. Uh, I finally saw what I've been waiting to see from Teddy Bridgewater, and I'm sold. I'm in. He can play, and he's the man. I, I really think, you know, he's not Drew Brees. Teddy Bridgewater is not Drew Brees, and that's not a fair comparison. There was, a, there was a one play where it was more apparent than ever that, oh, yeah, uh, Teddy's not Drew Brees. There's a third and eight on the 31-yard line. Uh, they're, on the, they're on the opponent's 31-yard line, which means that the Saints were on the edge of field goal range. And Teddy took a huge sack, lost like 12 yards. So instead of throwing the ball, getting rid of it, <laughs> he ran around and lost a bunch of yards on third and eight. And what he did was took his team out of field goal range. And I watched that play and I thought, man, Drew Brees wouldn't have made that play. Drew Brees would have, Drew Brees, I've done that twice in a row now. Drew Brees would have gotten rid of the ball and allowed his team to kick a good field goal. And Teddy Bridgewater is always going to be compared to Drew Brees. That's just, at least for a while, that's what's going to happen. He's replacing a legend. And so while it's hard to look at the Saints and go, you know, Drew Brees, yeah, he really is, and obviously way better than Teddy Bridgewater. It's still working, though. The Saints are fine without Teddy. It's really cool. Or without Drew Brees. It's, with Teddy, they work. Their roster's incredible. They have a great defense. They score touchdowns on special teams. They have a great special teams unit. And the offense is, is running very smoothly under Teddy Bridgewater. He's putting the ball in the right spot. And that's what you need to see from him. That's how you run the Saints offense. His efficiency is being a tactician, getting the ball in the right spot over and over and over again. That's exactly what Teddy Bridgewater does. I mean, the roster is so good, they just beat the Seahawks and the Saints back-to-back without Drew Brees. They can win without Drew Brees, very obviously. And a large part of that's because Teddy Bridgewater is getting the job done. But the story to me on all this, right, I just said a lot of information to you guys. The story in all of this is that Teddy Bridgewater chose to stay in New Orleans. They wanted him to stay, and so he did. He did stay. And he could have left. He could have left New Orleans. Could have gone to a crappy team to compete for the starting job there. Team like the, like the Redskins. Case Keenum did this. Case Keenum went to a crappy team that really just made him a placeholder until they could play Dwayne Haskins. And, and what sucks is when you're Case Keenum in that situation, you get paid a lot of money, but you're not going to succeed because the team is bad, and you're not really wanted. The Redskins don't actually want Case Keenum. The Redskins, the truth is, they want Dwayne Haskins to be the guy. Case Keenum is duct tape. He's there momentarily until the problem can be solved with a better solution. So instead of doing something like that, what Teddy Bridgewater did was stay in New Orleans. They invested in Teddy. The Saints offered him a contract saying, we'll make you the highest paid backup in the league. We want you to invest in us, though. We want you to stay. Instead of leaving, going somewhere else, stay with us. And he did. And I think if you ask me, Teddy Bridgewater showed tremendous wisdom in that decision. One, he took a chance to learn from Drew Brees, which is awesome. That's just wonderful. Uh, Teddy's dedicated to his craft. And I think he recognized, oh, I have an opportunity to learn here from the very best of the best. It's like, if I had a chance to learn from one of the greatest broadcasters of all time, wouldn't I want to do that? I, I think, and then maybe inherit, I don't, I don't know. It's a little different. I don't know. But the point is, if you can learn from people, like, ha, here's a great example though. Uh, <laughs> this will make a lot of people angry. I don't care. I don't, I, I say what I believe. 
if I had an opportunity next summer to take a week off of the show and go to Los Angeles and learn from Colin Cowherd, absolutely I would do it. Whether I like him or not, I can recognize he's really good at what he does. And I would learn a lot, good and bad, by being in the room watching Colin operate. I would take a week off of the show to go sit in the room and learn. As a stupid, I'd get him coffee to be a stupid intern, to be Teddy Bridgewater for a week, to learn from a great, someone who's great in your field. Absolutely, you would do that. I think you'd be unwise not to. Teddy Bridgewater took that opportunity. And not only did Teddy Bridgewater take the opportunity to learn from a legend, he's also set up to inherit a great situation. He's with a great franchise. Instead of being with the Redskins or with whatever team needed a, you know, a quarterback to be a placeholder, the Broncos maybe, instead of being a placeholder at a bad team, Teddy Bridgewater's with a fantastic roster with a great head coach, Sean Payton, whose offense really fits Teddy's style, who works to his strengths. They get the ball out quickly. They steal yards with well-designed screen plays. That offense in New Orleans is perfectly suited for Teddy Bridgewater's skill set. And I would really compare the Saints roster to a nice sports car. You know, it seems silly, but um, you know, Drew Brees owns a Ferrari. But if you hang around long enough, if you hang around and you serve and you help, eventually, Drew Brees is going to give that Ferrari to you. And then you're the owner of a really nice sports car. Shiny. It's beautiful. It's awesome. And that, that horse can, I think it's fast. That horse can win a race. So Teddy, to me, put himself in a great spot with wise decision-making. He put himself around good people, which is always really smart. Always put yourself around good people. And he went somewhere that wanted him. The Redskins don't want Case Keenum. The Broncos don't want Joe Flacco. There's a reason they drafted a young quarterback in the first round. The Giants didn't want Eli Manning. They wanted Daniel Jones. Well, the Saints wanted Teddy Bridgewater. They invested in him. They gave him a contract, highest paid backup in the league. Teddy Bridgewater said, I'm in. Let's do it. And that's so awesome. Eventually, I believe in this now, and I believe in Teddy Bridgewater. The Saints will be his team, and it's going to work. What I see on tape is too hard to deny. Teddy Bridgewater is the truth. He's not Drew Brees at all, but he can run that offense really well and win a lot of games, and he is the successor to Tom Brady. Well, to, to Tom Brady. He, he is the successor. Wow, Tom Brady. He, Teddy Bridgewater is the successor to Drew Brees. All right, uh, before we take a break, I have nine takeaways I want to share from the NFL Week 4. Number one is that the Buffalo Bills quarterback, Josh Allen, looked like a mess. Josh Allen made bad decisions through three interceptions. He doesn't have great anticipation. It looks like he's often guessing when he's reading defenses. Like he, he just guesses and hopes he's right when he throws the ball. I understand that Josh Allen has a huge arm. But to me, he relies too heavily on that and doesn't do the work of mastering his offense like he should. Josh Allen's, I don't ever in his career had to master an offense with perfect timing. Because his arm has always been good enough to make up for his lack of polish. We're learning Josh Allen's arm in the NFL, no matter how good his arm is, still isn't good enough to make up for his lack of polish now. He's paying for those bad habits because of his strong arm now. For this weekend, Josh Allen was 13 for 28 passing, had a 46% completion percentage, 153 yards, zero touchdowns, and three interceptions. Eh. 
ugly. And what's even more interesting is he's getting hurt and hit a bunch. He's getting hit all the time because guess what he hasn't done? He hasn't mastered his offense. He's not getting the ball out on time, taking too many hits, getting killed, running around. But he's got to get rid of the ball. This is why Josh Allen's getting hit so much. He's not understanding where his outlets are. He's not on top of his offense. He's confused when he drops back, it looks like, and it's costing him <laughs> injuries. I mean, it, it just his body's getting hit because of his lack of polish. So I don't like what I saw from Josh Allen against the Patriots, and I was very, very unimpressed with the Buffalo Bills quarterback. Number two is, man, the Lions fought really, really hard against the Kansas City Chiefs. They lost to the Chiefs 34-30 to on a last-second drive by Patrick Mahomes. I can live with that. You're the Lions right now at home. You go, man, we lost to probably the best quarterback in the NFL maybe ever. So I, I had to look at that loss from the Lions to go, yeah, I'm, I'm impressed with the way they performed. Here's why I like what the Lions did. And by the way, they had two turnovers in the red zone that cost them the game. Without those two turnovers, the Lions actually win on Sunday against the Chiefs. But I, I'm impressed because of the fight that the Lions gave. Years ago with the Detroit Lions, when they're challenged and hit in the mouth and losing, or, or not even, that's not even the right way to put it, when they gave up the lead to the Chiefs, there was a moment for the Lions where they said, it was a gut check, we fight or we don't. And I think Lions teams in the past, I know it's cliche, wouldn't have fought as hard. I know it's hard to accept, but we got to recognize now that the Lions are no longer an easy win on the schedule for all the teams that play them. The Lions are one of the upper middle teams in the NFL. They are solid. They are quality. And the culture, to me, the culture is changing in Detroit. The Lions are buying into their head coach, Matt Patricia. They are listening to him, and they're fighting hard for him. And that's something we've never seen. I've never seen in my lifetime from the Detroit Lions. That was two. It's funny is oh okay there's three I was like I was like how do we go from two to four on my notes here's number three the Browns versus the Ravens was awesome just fantastic the Browns did blow out the Ravens forty to twenty five and the truth is honestly that the Browns really should have won forty to eighteen the Ravens scored with like thirty seconds left in the fourth quarter but I look at the past of this Ravens Browns Lamar Jackson Baker Mayfield matchup in week seventeen last year. The Ravens barely beat the Browns 26 to 24, clinching their playoff spot. On this Sunday, in the last most recent matchup, the Browns won. They dominated. And so what I'm I'm excited to see is at the end of the year this year, week 16, we get this matchup one more time. And because of the quarterbacks involved and the storylines, to me, the Browns and the Ravens is one of my new favorite matchups and favorite rivalries in the entire NFL. Two young quarterbacks, both drafted last year who are both the guy on their roster. And Lamar Jackson had a good game. Had three touchdowns, ran pretty well, made some people look silly. But had two costly turnovers that hurt his team. Baker, on the other end, Baker Mayfield was, what was he? I didn't have his stats for now. It doesn't matter. He didn't, he didn't play that well. He, I mean, sorry. He threw for a bunch of yards. Statistically, he didn't have the touchdowns to show for it because Nick Chubb, the running back for the Browns, ran all over everybody. Had three touchdowns, like 185 yards. And the yardage the Browns put up against the Ravens is very, very impressive. And so to me, my only point is that week 16, this is a long way of putting this. I'm just excited for the next matchup. I didn't mean to waste your time the whole time getting to this point, but 
I'm so excited for the rivalry that is the Browns and the Ravens. I think it's a great matchup, and it's awesome. Daniel Jones looked really young, which is very encouraging for the New York Giants. Uh, he's 21, 23 for 31 passing, 74% completion percentage, 224 yards passing, one touchdown. He did have two interceptions, and he showed his youth. Like The interceptions were not great, but the Giants won 24-3, to and while I did not feel that Daniel Jones was perfect, he's not, he's a rookie, he's very young, but I did feel good about him. I felt, I felt really good about him, and I, I looked around, I was like, yeah, you know, he's young, but he can play. I like what Daniel Jones did. Now, Dwayne Haskins, the Redskins quarterback, the team on the other side, he did not look great. The Redskins rookie quarterback was, the word I would use, the words I would use is an R, not great. Had three interceptions. and uh, Now, he had some okay completions. He wasn't atrocious. He took what the defense gave him at times. But for the most part, Dwayne Haskins looked overwhelmed, confused, lost, and I was so afraid that this would happen, and in fact, it did. The Redskins played Dwayne Haskins before he was ready. I knew it would happen. I warned everybody that it would happen, and it did. Now, he wasn't awful. I believe Dwayne Haskins can do better than he did on Sunday. I think not all hope is lost. Two of the three interceptions were his fault. One of them was not. One was tipped up in the air. But here's my concern. The biggest issue moving forward for Dwayne Haskins and the Redskins is that he's learning on the job. And I guess, you know, some people like that. Some people hate that. It's fine, whatever. But here's the big issue right now. The Redskins' next game is against the New England Patriots. The New England Patriots and Bill Belichick. And they, the Redskins, the Redskins should absolutely not play Dwayne Haskins. Don't do it. I'm begging you, don't do it. Please don't do it. You want to ruin a young quarterback's confidence forever? <laughs> Here's what you do. You start a quarterback who's a rookie. His first NFL start against Bill Belichick's defense. That's a horrible idea. Horrible. Not only are they known for being diabolical and you know, scheming to confuse young quarterbacks, but they're also really good. Like this year, any time playing against a Patriots defense, a rookie quarterback should be scared and I wouldn't want to play him but especially not this year when the Patriots have a fantastic defense that shuts down everybody they've played. Uh, they finally gave up a touchdown this week. Oh, whoa. Jeez, man. <laughs> the Patriots are incredible. And against the Patriots, Haskins would be in way, way over his head. So the Redskins, absolutely without a shadow of a doubt, should not play Dwayne Haskins next Sunday against the Patriots. Here's my sixth concern, uh, and really... <laughs> It is a concern, I guess. It's a takeaway, though, for sure. Uh, Kyler Murray is a young quarterback. Kyler Murray is quarterback of the Cardinals. His team is 0-3-1, zero wins, three losses, and a tie. And on the field, he's not bad. He's got four touchdowns, four interceptions. He's got a 62% completion percentage. He's thrown for 1,071 yards. On the field, I am not concerned with the play of Kyler Murray. But he's a rookie quarterback on a bad team. Like, we, we shouldn't be too hard on him. Uh, you, if you don't like his stats, grow up. You're silly. Have patience. Allow the kid to develop. But my concern about Kyler Murray has nothing to do with the way he plays necessarily. It's the way he conducts himself in the locker room. I don't know. I'm not in. I've just heard rumblings, and they're concerning. And I just think it'd be dishonest not to share these. My concern with Kyler Murray is that he's too passive and quiet in 
the Cardinals locker room. You know, a lot of people want to compare Kyler Murray to Baker Mayfield, Gardner Minshew, or Daniel Jones. And when you do that, Kyler Murray pales in comparison as a leader, as a vocal leader in a locker room. Baker Mayfield's outspoken. Gardner Minshew's outspoken. Daniel Jones, in that fourth quarter comeback against the, the Buccaneers, was loud and was fiery and was into it. And when you look at Kyler Murray on the sideline, he lacks the spark to lift up and energize the people around him. And that's concerning to me. I I had a whole opening of my show about how it's really important to have quarterbacks who are galvanizing leaders, and I don't know that that's who Kyler Murray is, and that concerns me. He looks quiet. Kyler Murray looks quiet on the sidelines, and as a guy who wants him to succeed, that doesn't instill a lot of confidence in him from me. Number seven is I wonder if Mitchell Trubisky is actually the guy in Chicago. Uh, Man, here's the long and the short. (laughs) The Bears played a backup quarterback, Chase Daniels, against the Vikings. And not only were the Bears totally fine without their starting quarterback, Mitch Trubisky, who got hurt, they looked better. They looked better without their starting quarterback. Chase Daniels, 22 for 30, passing 195 yards, one touchdown, zero interceptions. And how sad is it? That's the stat line that makes me go, oh, wow, he looked way better. Shows how bad Mitchell Trubisky is. He has good moments. He has flashes of brilliance. And then mostly it's a lot of inconsistent trash. I mean, Mitchell Trubisky is one of the most weird and discouraging quarterbacks to watch on film. You know, he's just been rather fine, not great, and then occasionally makes an impressive play. So this is a develop. I, I just want to say this. Mitchell Trubisky is a developing story. I want to do a film analysis on him and break him down. Uh, but Mitchell Trubisky might not be the right guy for the Chicago Bears. I feel weird about that, but again, he's just really not impressed me at all this year and didn't impress me last year, and I, I just keep waiting, and it just keeps not happening for Trubisky. We will see. I'll do a film analysis, tell you what I think in the future. Mason Rudolph, the Steelers quarterback, on Monday Night Football had a great stat line. He had 24 for 28 passing, 229 yards, two touchdowns, and zero interceptions. And the stats are fine to list. You can list them. That's not real analysis to me. Everybody and their mother can look up stats and read them off to you. The truth is that Mason Rudolph played a bad defense. And Mason Rudolph ran very simple pass concepts that were not impressive to me. And I just he got a ton of passing yards on fly, you know, sweeps where Mason Rudolph catches the ball, tosses it forward to a wide receiver who catches the ball as they run. And because technically it's like a six-inch you know, pass, Mason Rudolph gets a lot of passing yards on it. But that's, that's a cheap completion that gets him a lot of yards and helps his efficiency. That doesn't really count to me. And so, you know, I will acknowledge that Mason Rudolph looked better than he did last week. But he played a really bad defense. And, you know, I, I just am not impressed yet. I'm waiting to be impressed. A lot of people were sending me messages about Mason Rudolph. You see what he did? Two touchdowns, Zach. Look at that. He's great. I'm like, ah, is he? Is he? The Bengals defense. He, he does well against the Bengals defense, and you're ready to say he's your guy forever? I don't think so. So I have an open mind, but I'm still not sold on Mason Rudolph. There are the next six games for the Steelers are this. The Ravens, the Chargers, the Dolphins, the Colts, the Rams, and the Browns. Five of those teams are good, and then there's the Dolphins. <laughs> and we will know six games from now we will know whether or not Mason Rudolph is a good quarterback and whether or not he is the future of the Pittsburgh Steelers. After the next six games, five of them really tough matchups, we're going to learn a lot about the Steelers and a lot about Mason Rudolph. And 
I will make a video then. I promise you. When that time comes, I'll come back to you guys. I'll let you know what I find. But for the next six weeks, there's not new information on Mason Rudolph. Unless he plays terrible. Unless like four weeks from now, he's just shredded everybody. Then sure, that's great. I don't know that that's going to happen. And so we will learn a lot from Mason Rudolph six weeks from now when we look back on those next six games and how he does against better teams. My final takeaway from week four of the NFL is this. Raiders linebacker Vontez Perfect has been suspended for the rest of the year. He got ejected from the Colts game because he laid a, a, a very concerning helmet-to-helmet hit on Jack Doyle. I wish I could say like a better way to put it. That's... You know, a lot of people thought it was dirty. Yeah, I, I understand their argument. And what's even worse is that Vontez Perfect was smiling and like showboating as he left the field, showing no remorse for the hit he laid on Jack Doyle, not caring that what he did is illegal and not really acceptable in the NFL anymore. And so this is not the first time. This is not the third time. It's not even the fifth time. There's a long history of repeated conduct violations by Vontas Perfect. And, uh, you know, again, some people call him dirty. I think the truth is this, is that if he played in the 1970s, he probably would have been a hero and he probably would have been a star and Vontas Perfect would be remembered forever as a Hall of Famer, like quite literally, quite possibly, because he has the ability and his gut and his heart. He's very talented physically and he loves to just annihilate people. And the problem is... The game has changed. Vontez Perfect has not adapted to the changes the game of football have made. He continues to lead with his helmet. He continues to hit and target defenseless guys. And I think the NFL is quite happy he's suspended for the year. I think they hope he retires. I think it's just Vontez Perfect, again, is a player who would have been great in the 70s. The 70s are over. It's time to be safer. Time to not hit with your helmet. Time to not target, you know, defenseless receivers. And Vontez Perfect has been unable and unwilling and un, has not desired at all to change his behavior and play it with a different style. That's why he was suspended. And I think, you know, um, I think I agree with the suspension. I think that's, you can't have the risk of him doing worse damage. You just a guy who's not willing to play a safe brain of football. Goodbye. We have a lot of other people who would love, would love to play linebacker in the NFL. Goodbye. Goodbye. It was like a Post Malone song. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. Wow. Please never. I'm, I'm going to leave that in the podcast. I'm asking you. Please never, ever tell anybody I sang on the podcast. <laughs> That's awful. I feel weird about it. Uh, guys, that is all I have for my... Those are my nine takeaways from the NFL Week 4. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll do Ask Zach. Ask Zach has how many questions? One, two, three... Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten questions. And they're good questions. I'm very proud of the questions we have for Ask Zach this week. My name is Zach Schaumler. I will be right back. All right, we are back. Um, I have acknowledged now, I'm willing to acknowledge, I am exhausted. Apparently crying. Who would have thought crying makes you tired? Um, yeah, I, I just still can't believe that happened. I can't believe that's how the show started. I did check. Uh like 30 seconds ago on Strong Opinion Sports. We're still not at 100,000. How funny would that be if I cried about getting there and then I, this video goes up and there's still not 100,000 subscribers? That'd be ridiculous and funny. Uh, now, we're like two away, so I don't think it's going to happen. But crazier things have happened. Um, I want to now jump into Ask Zach. So, after, you know, to 
announce the topic because that's how the video works. So it's going to be a weird jarring, like me, I, can, I literally read this sheet of paper to try to explain what, because Ask Zach is a complicated thing that I don't know how to properly explain without like a really detailed set of notes to like lay it out. So it's now time for Ask Zach. And this is a segment that I end every single podcast with people who support me on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Zach Shomler. It's a dollar a month. If you want to give me a dollar a month, you can. Great. I really appreciate it. If you want to give me more than that? That would be even better. It pays my bills, literally. I survived doing this. Um, but a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions to me. And I, with my eyeballs, look at every single question that is submitted on Patreon.com. I only accept questions on Patreon through the Patreon DMs or through you can comment on the posts. I leave posts uh, saying, ask Zach this week, comment below. Now, I will not guarantee, if you pay me money and submit a question, I will not guarantee to read it on the show. There's so many. I only, I try to read a couple of the top ones every week, but I do look at all of them with my eyeballs and I pick the top couple to read on the show. There are 10 this week. I believe there's 10. I hope I'm, I hope it's 10. It might be nine. I'm bad at math. I counted them up. Probably, probably 10. Um, But we have great questions for today. I want to start with Dan. Dan and Ben both wrote in about the same topic. And so Ben or Dan, Dan's question is long and rambly. No offense to you, Dan. Love you. But I'm going to read it all, and then I'm going to read Ben's. So Dan says, hey, Zach, I love the show, and I'm a huge fan of how you raise awareness and share your history dealing with your brother's death. Thank you so much, Dan. As you know, that's the most important thing to me and most important thing in this podcast. He says, now, now to football. I think a big controversy coming out of week four is about the Patriots defensive back Jonathan Jones hit on Josh Allen. Dude, you did more research about this than I did. Well done. He says, I didn't even, I didn't know who hit him. I just saw number 31. Dan continues. He said, full disclosure, I'm a Patriots fan. And perhaps consequently, I have a hometown view of the play. I think Josh Allen, who is known to run, was trying to pick up a first down conversion in a three point game. And instead of giving himself up, chose to try and fight through a tackle and fall for a first down. Jones, number 31, the guy who hit him, took, saw an opportunity to pop a quarterback and took it. I think he tried to lead with the shoulder, but unfortunately it was a quick bang-bang play and Jones hit Josh Allen with his helmet. The ref threw the flag. Good call. I agree. It was a good call. It was helmet to helmet. Now he continues with more. Uh, I'm gonna, so there's two more parts of the question. I'm going to read one more part. He says, well, I take exception with the whining. <laughs> The whining that Sean McDermott, the head coach of the Bills, did in the postgame interview as well as Micah Hyde saying that if the Bills hit Brady like that, then they would have been kicked out. Personally, I don't buy that. I think that when a quarterback makes himself a runner and does not give himself up, then the refs don't afford quarterbacks the same latitude as when they slide or are in the pocket looking to pass. He said, <laughs> I, did, I, did, I did read the whole question, by the way, Dan. Dan says at the end, she made it this far. Thanks for taking the time to read this novel, Dan. Dan, thanks for the question. Uh, now, Ben wrote in a very similar question. He said, what do you think of the hit on Josh Allen by Jonathan Jones? Why, you both know his name. During the Bills versus Patriots game, do you think Jones should have been ejected? And what do you think would have happened if Tom Brady was hit the same way? I'm also curious of your opinion on the game. Uh, first, opinion of the game. The Bills are better than, I, I thought the Bills were good. I gave them credit. Even better than I thought. Good job, Bills. Really impressed with them. So on this hit, so in case you don't know, I don't know how you don't know, but it's possible you don't, the Bills starting quarterback Josh Allen was hit helmet to helmet and in the beginning of the fourth quarter on Sunday. He got a concussion. He was out for the rest of the game. And it was very, uh, Bills fans were furious because they lost their starting quarterback 
at the end of a close football game against the Patriots. I get their frustration and Bills fans' anger. It all makes sense to me. Now, I don't want to be rude. Uh, It's going to come across as rude to Bills fans. I mean no offense, guys. But it looks to me like Bills fans are just looking for a reason for this to be unfair. I get it. The Patriots have a history of cheating and there's all this stuff and it's unfair. By the way, I think the NFL actually hates the Patriots because they they don't want them. Like They succeed in spite of the NFL not liking them. I think I think what happened was unfortunate conduct. I'm not I'm not a Bills fan, I'm not a Patriots fan, and I know there's a really intense rivalry between the two teams. And so from an outsider's perspective, from an outside looking in point of view, I, I just think it was unfortunate. Like Josh Allen's trying to get more yards, he's falling forward. Number 31 lay, you know, tried to lay a hit on the quarterback. It did look like he was trying to use his shoulder. His helmet hit him. And, and by the way, the hit was flagged because it's an illegal hit. You cannot hit a quarterback helmet to helmet when they're running. You can't hit anybody helmet to helmet when they're running. The hit got flagged. Now, unfortunately for the Bills, the, the, the hit was not, the flag was not kept because there was also a holding penalty on the play. The two penalties, one on the Bills, one on the Patriots, they offset. Nothing really happened from the hit. And uh, I just, I understand that Bills fans are frustrated because they lost their quarterback, but I don't think anything unfair happened here. It was flagged. It was dealt with, and let's be very honest about what happened. Josh Allen was running. <laughs> you know, uh, what What Micah Hyde said, saying that, well, if we'd hit Tom Brady that way, the guy would have got ejected. Well, first of all, Tom Brady would never, ever let himself get hit like that. I, I just Tom Brady doesn't lower his shoulder. Tom Brady doesn't run. Tom Brady doesn't put himself in a situation where he gets hit as much as Josh Allen. Josh Allen has not mastered the Bills' offense. He takes a lot of hits because his style of play, he runs around. And because because he hasn't mastered the offense, he doesn't know where all his outlets are. He doesn't get the ball out very quickly. He's very slow to process. His anticipation is terrible. Because of the way Josh Allen plays, his style and his mental ability reading a defense, it causes him to get hit a lot more frequently than other quarterbacks. The hit is on Josh Allen. He ran, he lowered his shoulder, he got leveled. And a dirty hit, like... You sh- I, and I, and I don't think it was intentionally dirty, but you can't lower your helmet. That's a, pe- a flag. It was flagged. I don't know what else Bills fans want. Everything was fair in that situation. It's just unfortunate. And it's very okay to be sad and frustrated that your quarterback got knocked out. And guess what? I think you play the Patriots again this year. And so if the Bills want revenge on the Patriots, do it again. This time, have your quarterback slide, and maybe they'll win. <laughs> because it was, I think it was third and long. Josh Allen slides are there. It's like fourth and one. He slides. It's fourth and one. Go for it on fourth and one. There are many ways Josh Allen's injury could have been avoided and could have been avoided by Josh Allen not lowering his helmet and not running and not playing the style of play he plays. Now, uh, the next question is from Supa McNasty. <laughs> Very, I am sure that's his real name. Supa McNasty. Maybe her real name. Maybe it's a her. Oh, you never know. I think I have female viewers. I met one this weekend. Um, they say, Hey Zach, recently found your channel and thought you had some interesting perspectives. Anyway, decided to support you through Patreon. Thank you so much, man. That means a lot to me. It pays my bills. I'm so grateful you supported me on Patreon. And this, as my first question, he says, do you think Mahomes is worth the hype or still has something to prove through a championship or more big games? He says, again, love your content and good luck in the future. So Supa McNasty, I love that name. It's so awesome. Uh, man, I, uh, 
I don't think Mahomes has anything to prove. You know, he's won an NFL MVP. He plays great in big moments. And he's the most talented quarterback I've ever seen in the I've never seen anybody like Patrick Mahomes. Big moments also don't frighten Patrick Mahomes. I talked about Kirk Cousins earlier in the podcast, how he shrinks in big moments. Patrick Mahomes does nothing of the sort. He's totally calm and totally very <laughs> just comfortable in the moment. Nothing phases him. And I think that he's mastered his role. Patrick Mahomes is really, really good at what he does and probably the best ever at his job. Like very likely, literally. If not, maybe not the best at master defenses, the most physically talented of all time. And here's the thing that is starting to kind of make me crazy. You know, there's comeback wins for Patrick Mahomes. There is crazy good throws, but there's also really good decision-making repeatedly from Patrick Mahomes. Everybody wants to compare Patrick Mahomes to Brett Favre. That does Patrick Mahomes a disservice. Patrick, sorry, Brett Favre was lazy. Brett Favre didn't do the work. He was a gunslinger who relied on his arm and did not, did not do the preparation necessary to become an elite. Look, he's an elite quarterback. But Brett Favre would not succeed now as well as he did in the 90s. I watched a video on YouTube the other day. It was the 90s quarterback competition. Troy Aikman, Vinny Testaverde, uh, Testaverde, you know, he looked like Vinny looked like a mob boss, Brett Favre, all these guys. They had horrible mechanics. They had bad footwork, quarterback ability as a whole, quarterback play in general has been elevated so much over the last 20 years as guys have grown up all through high school training and practicing and understanding out like the understanding of the quarterback position has never been better. And quarterback play has never been better. Like even with the new rules, it's still technically far more sound than it's ever been before. Brett Favre would not last in today's NFL. He wouldn't make it. He doesn't do the preparation he needed to. He got out right at the perfect time when he just was starting to peter out. He got away with a lot because he like there's a famous story where Brett Favre didn't understand a defense. Sorry, starting on a long tangent. My point is this. Don't just talk about Patrick Mahomes' arm strength. You need to understand the preparation and decision making he has is incredible. He does the work. I'm never gonna do a film analysis of Patrick Mahomes because it's boring. Success, when you're that good, I, I, find it, I find it far more intriguing to watch Joe Flacco, who I don't actually know if he's any good, because I know Patrick's good. Patrick Mahomes, I've never really talked about him because he's just not, he's so good, it's not interesting. It's like Alabama football. It's like, eh, like they're just so dominant. Patrick Mahomes is quite possibly the best quarterback I have ever, ever seen. Decision-making, arm talent, calm in the moment, in big-time moments like on Sunday against the Lions down in the fourth quarter. Patrick's unbelievable. And so I'm tired of the Brett Favre comparison that does Patrick Mahomes a disservice. No, he has nothing to prove and is incredible. Wow, I didn't mean to. I just get into it. I just love this, man. I just get so lost in the moment and what I'm talking about. Uh, Devinator wrote in and said this. He said, hi, Zach. So I play football for my high school. He says line, so he's a lineman. And my team is not as united as we need to be. I believe we lack a lot of leadership from players, so I ask you. What are some of the most important characteristics of a leader? How does a player unite so many different personalities? Thank you. P.S. Love your show. Devinator. The number one thing when I think of leadership is that you have to be yourself. You must be yourself. You can do all the right stuff. You can say all the right things. Your actions can all be what leaders, quote, should do. But if it's not authentic and it's not real and it's not really who you are, 
people can pick up on that and it leaks out of you. And they might not know why you trying to be a leader makes them uncomfortable, but it does. And I think a good leader has to earn the right, earn the right to speak up. Good leaders need to speak up when it's necessary, but you can't just speak up. You have to earn the right to do that with your actions. And that has to happen on an individual level. When I played college football, we had a gigantic team, 112 guys, three days into fall training camp with, by the way, I think we had 58 new freshmen. By day three, I knew everybody's name and I knew where they were from. I I'd built, I'd had a, a conversation with every single person on the team. I, I, I really was proud of the leadership and the work I did at my college that is so important. You have to connect with people on an individual level. That way, when you talk, they know who you are. They know where you're coming from. You have earned the right in their eyes, to likely, to speak to them and to speak up in a big moment. When everyone's tired, they're just in conditioning, now it's time to practice and you're like frustrated, whatever it is. If you're going to speak up at a big moment, you have to earn the right to do that. And then another thing good leaders do is tend to, I call this tending to the flock, like a shepherd, the way a shepherd cares for all their sheep checking with every single one, clipping, whatever. I don't know. I've actually never been a shepherd. I just, my image of a shepherd is a guy who feeds all the sheep, clips their toenails, makes sure they're clean, does, like, he just cares for all of them. You got to care for the people around you. You're, and not just the players. If you're a player on the team, talk to your coaches. How's your coach doing? How's this? Check in with people. How is blank? Whatever they're struggling with, whether it's a test or a girlfriend or, you know, whatever battle in your life and their life they're struggling with or fighting on right now, check in with them. Hey, man, how's this thing? How's that thing? Check in with people. But again, you have to actually care. You have to actually care. You can't pretend to care about people. It doesn't work. But if you actually care about people, I think you can do tremendous, tremendous things as a leader, especially on a football team. Another thing great leaders do, in my opinion, is they own their flaws and they own their mistakes. Tom Brady, all good leaders in the NFL do this. All good leaders in every aspect of life are willing to admit, hey, I was wrong about this. I was wrong about that. Hey, man, I screwed up, and I'm going to own that. I'm sorry. I'll do better next time. If you don't hold yourself to a high standard, then how can the people around you, and how can you hold, how can it go both ways? If you don't hold yourself to a high standard, how can you correct Cameron when he runs a bad route? How can you help Bryson when he could catch, <laughs> I'm naming teammates of mine from high school. I love them, by the way. They're great guys. How can you help them? How can you call them out? You can't. If I, if I don't ever own that I'm screwed up and broken, I can't ever help and call other guys when, they need, when I need more from them. The last part uh, I want to talk about is I stole it from the wisest coach I've ever met. I met a guy named George Crace who was just a, a wonderful human. He was a, he's a legend in the Northwest uh, coaching high school football. He was very, very kind to me. He said that good leaders have four characteristics. He said good leaders have trust. You trust them, the people around them. You trust a good leader. Good leaders offer stability. They are stable. You can rely on them. So trust and stability. The third thing is care. Good leaders genuinely have to care about the people. They have to. They must genuinely care about the people around them. And the fourth thing is that good leaders offer hope. This one spoke to me so much because a good leader offers hope for the future, that it's all going to work out. And it's gonna, you're going to make it. They encourage their positive good leaders, offer the people around them hope. I hope you appreciate that answer. I really, you know, I, I took my time with that one. I thought about it deeply. And I, I think I gave a quality answer that I'm, I'm proud of that answer. I think it's good. Actually, there's one more thing I want to add in. Um, you got to care for yourself too. 
I just talked a lot about caring for other people and how that's good leader. You can't care for other people unless you care for yourself. You got to go to bed at night. You got to get good rest. You got to journal your feelings. I know that seems silly, but if you don't journal and figure out how you feel about stuff, you're never going to be an effective leader. So those are all the things I think make up an effective leader. Actually, I'll read them again. I have them written down. All the things that make up an effective leader to me are you got to be yourself. You can't pretend. You have to actually care about the people around you. You got to own your mistakes when you screw up. You got to be reliable. You got to earn the right on an individual level to talk to people, connect with every little person individually, know their life, know where they're from, know their story. And then you got to take care of yourself. You got to take care of yourself. If you don't take care of yourself, you can't help other people. One thing that I always think of is I was on a plane a couple times this weekend. I flew to Salt Lake and back. So that's four total flights because I had connections both times. Connection in Denver on the way down, connection Phoenix on the way back. And uh, when they tell you about plane safety, they talk about how um, when the mask comes down, the plane's going down, you're going to crash, the mask falls down. And they say, put it on the person next to you. Oh, sorry, sorry. They, they, they say this. They say, make sure when the mask comes down, if you have a kid next to you, put the mask on yourself first because you can't help the person next to you unless you can breathe. So you got to take care of yourself. Then you can put the mask on. Some, you can help someone else get their mask on, right? Does that make, I hope that makes sense. But the point is you can't be an effective leader unless you're in a good spot and have done the work to take care of yourself first. Uh, the next question is from Michael. It's a good one. It's about Marcus Mariota. Michael says, well, Zach... If you've seen my other posts, you know I'm a Marcus Mariota fan. That I thought your criticism was a bit harsh last time you talked about him. He showed massive improvement yesterday, especially in regards to holding onto the ball too long. No sacks despite free rushers multiple times. I acknowledge that was good. said, with Taylor Lewan coming back next week, do you think the Titans will make an even bigger statement against the Bills? And do you see Marcus Mariota taking enough of a step forward to lock in a long-term deal? He says, even though you've been hating on my Titans... Love the show. Keep up the good work, Michael. Thank you, Michael. I, I really appreciate you. Um, Marcus Mariota. Uh, there, there's always hope. There's always hope Marcus Mariota gets better. I don't want to say there's no hope. Um, and I don't hate Marcus Mariota. I don't. Uh, I think he's subpar. And really what I have to do for Michael and for people who, a lot of people hate my, <laughs> my video about Marcus Mariota, I got to make a film analysis video because when I show them examples of what I'm talking about, it makes it a lot easier to hear the message. They can't deny. If you show them, and it's not just your opinion, but you show them the plays, they go, oh, I can't deny that's a bad throw and that's a bad decision and this is this. Like if you just give them examples in their face, no one fights back and works. They go, oh, you're right, crap. And I don't want to, that's discouraging too. Um, Marcus Mariota is a very, very kind, sweet human being. I met him once at a camp. I'm from Oregon. I went to a lot of camps in the Oregon Northwest area. Uh, I can like him as a person. He was nice to me when I met him and remove my emotion from that experience, which is very cool to me when I was a kid and still acknowledge that I think he's an average quarterback in the NFL. Uh, there's some really good moments and there's some really bad moments and it's just very subpar. And I, I don't think I was too hard on him when I said, often when I watch Marcus Mariota, it's not good enough. That's what I said and I stand by that. Um, now, an even bigger concern than Marcus Mariota's play is he's, he's average, not good enough, I don't think. He's also very quiet. He's not a vocal leader. I did a whole opening segment today on Strong Opinion Sports about leadership and how quiet lead by example guy is not enough for me anymore. I don't, Marcus Mariota is not enough of a leader to me. He doesn't speak up. He doesn't challenge his teammates. He doesn't encourage people. He's not loud. I don't hear him and I don't see him as a leader. I don't see him actively high-fiving people. I don't see, with my eyeballs, 
I don't see leadership when I watch him. He's alone by himself being quiet. And when I listen to him, I don't hear leadership from Marcus Mariota. Again, not encouraging others, not clapping, not high-fiving, not lifting up the people around him. In my opinion, the Tennessee Titans need to draft Jake Fromm, the quarterback from Georgia. Pull the trigger. Draft Jake Fromm. Jake Fromm would transform the Tennessee Titans' entire franchise. He's a galvanizing leader. People fight for him. He's got tremendous presence. I think Jake Fromm would be the best thing that's ever happened to the Tennessee Titans. I would draft him in a heartbeat, especially because guess what? He's going to fall. He'll be like the 17th overall pick or maybe even a second-round pick like Derek Carr was. But I very strongly believe in Jake Fromm because of who he is. The same reason I believed in Gardner Minshew is the reason I believe in Jake Fromm. I'm going to lean into that. Jake Fromm is not the most talented quarterback, but he's a galvanizing leader who wins games and plays good in big moments. And that's what you want from a quarterback. And that's exactly what we haven't seen from Marcus Mariota, the quarterback of the Tennessee Titans. Michael, thank you for your question. I hope, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I know that's not what you want to hear probably, but I, all I can do is be honest. I, I appreciate you subscribing to me on Patreon and supporting me. That means a lot to me. And I hope there's no hard feelings. I'm, I'm so grateful you watched my show. Uh, Jonas wrote in. Jonas says, sub Zach, sub Jonas, uh, which college team has the best looking uniforms in your opinion? And which college football stadium would you most want to visit? First of all, Oklahoma, in my opinion, has the best uniforms in college football. I know that's a very weird answer because they're boring and simple. And guess what I like with fashion? I like boring and I like simple. I wear the same shirt for every broadcast. Guess what happened to me on Saturday? I was broadcasting game for <laughs> in Salt Lake City, and a Fox producer said, not only do I know your show, I like you, Zach, I like your show. I think it's so funny you're wearing your silly blue shirt you wear on your podcast, and he said, you're exactly yourself. Keep being yourself. This is who I am. I wear my dumb shirt. I have two of them. I wear the same shirt every single episode. So my girlfriend even asked me, where's the green shirt? I'm like, ah, the green shirt. I have it if I need it in case both blue shirts are dirty. They're not. I'm a simple man. I like the simple, was it, is it red? scarlet? Is it red? Whatever color you would call Oklahoma's colors. It looks great on Jalen Hurts. Um, I like the Jordan symbol. It's very nice. It's slick. But I like simple stuff. And there's a lot of great uniforms like that in college football. Just the one that pops into my mind right now is Oklahoma. You know what I don't like is North Carolina. Like UNC has that thing on the side of their pants. It's like weird. It looks like a, like a quilt. I'm like, that's ah, weird to me. I don't like it. And the busier you are, the less I like it. I don't like really busy stuff. I think Maryland's uniforms are interesting. Not a fan. Um, now, hey, actually, you know, while you ask me this, two cool, really cool uniforms to me are the Ohio State uniforms from years ago. Like, they're, they were like alternate. They were like red. They're this cool, richer red, like not scarlet. And they were like a richer, darker, like matte gray. Matt Gray with a scarlet red. It was really cool. It was like 2012, I think, when I saw it the first time. It's this alternate uniform they have. It's just sick. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. And then the other uniforms I really like, and I'm not an, I know Oregon's got really unique uniforms. I don't always like them. The one I thought was really cool is in the Orange Bowl and the, and the Rose Bowl one time, they wore green tops, white jerseys, and then like orange socks, like, like looking like a duck, like orange socks and cleats to look like Donald, like Donald Duck. I was like, that is... The coolest, like, the Oregon Ducks wore orange and got away with it. What the heck? I, you can only wear that uniform once or twice ever, but when they did, it was, it was so dang cool. Now, which stadium would I want to visit? 
Um, there's there's one that sticks out to me. There's there's two games I want to. I really want to go to Alabama Auburn someday. I think it'd be awesome. But the stadium I most want to go to is actually Georgia. It this this started when I watched Georgia Notre Dame the other day, and Georgia had a hundred and seven thousand people in the crowd, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's unbelievable. It just looks so cool. And the lights were flashing red, and I was like, "Oh my! This atmosphere is amazing." And college football, like, I want to broadcast someday, and I would really love to do college football games because there's a different atmosphere and excitement with the student section and the alcohol, and it's everyone's just insanely into it. College football is really fun. So going to a Georgia game, I, I think it's Sanford Stadium. Going to that stadium and a big rival, like an LSU Georgia game or an Alabama Georgia game in Athens, Georgia. Oh. oh, oh that to me and maybe I could broadcast it which would be even cooler that experience sounds incredible and I'm all in on that that'd be awesome okay uh Randy wrote in Randy says hey Zach I'm looking to start a YouTube channel in a similar style as yours but discussing combat sports MMA boxing etc what equipment do you use now and what do you use when you first started uh thank you for answering huge fan you should come to the northeast and give the scene some rationality too many as <laughs> a word I've never heard I think I think I know what it means. So ignoramus is like Mike Francesa have a platform. Yeah, Mike Francesa needs to retire. Um, <laughs> uh, I would love to be Mike Francesa. I would love to trade. He can do the show in the basement, and I'll be the local guy in New York. Um, that's not true. I have a way better gig than him. I work for myself and don't have to. I would actually. I never mind. I have a better gig than Mike Francesa. Um, yeah, man, Randy. I think first of all, you got to be yourself. Uh, you got to make content. You know, I think a lot of people in the sports content world, especially on TV, actually, I've met them. I've seen them in person. I've been I've been in production meetings with ESPN. People don't realize that. I've operated camera for all kinds of great companies, and uh, some great, some yeah. And a lot of people are pretending to be something they're not on camera, and it's awful. It just doesn't work. It's there. I think people need to lean more heavily into what they're passionate about. I'm passionate about the quarterback position. I'm passionate about football. I talk about football a lot. And then the other thing I'm passionate about is storytelling and stories. So when I see great stories in sports, I love it. Whether it's basketball, football, rugby, tennis. I love great stories that move you in the soul. And so I've leaned into what I'm really passionate about and try to have a career doing what I'm passionate about, which are football and storytelling. So I encourage you to lean into the things you love and are really, really passionate about. Now, uh, I don't care about equipment. I'm actually using all the same equipment I started with. Same computer, same cameras, same microphone. Nothing has changed since day one that I started this podcast. I have very mundane, very average equipment. The equipment doesn't matter for the most part. There's one piece of equipment that matters more than any other piece of equipment. There's only one thing that I could not do this show the same way without. The microphone. It's a, like a $300 microphone. This is very, uh, it's a Rode Procaster. I'm very proud of it. You need good audio. Uh, the screen looks fine, right? I don't care. I wear the same dumb shirt. I'm in front of a stupid wall and I don't care how the show looks. It doesn't matter. What matters is what you're saying and the content you're putting out and the words you're speaking and the passion you have with the words you're saying. Like who you are come, has to come through. Passion always comes through the screen or the headphones. But if it's done with a poor microphone, it's all irrelevant. So many podcasts have bad microphones. And the minute you hear scratchy, bad noise, you turn it off. Because weird sounds, you hate it. You hate, people hate, I hate. I don't watch videos with bad audio. 
put up with a buzzy, uh, like a fuzzy fight on YouTube because it's interesting. But the minute the audio is hard to listen to or hurts your ears, eh, you tune it out. Audio is the most important thing when you're making a YouTube channel. Audio. Video is very overrated. It, <laughs> I'm a guy talking on a screen. Would you care if I had a different color shirt on? Would you care if the wall behind me was red instead of grayish purple? No. It's about what I'm saying. That's the important part. What I'm saying and the way I'm saying it is the most important thing when you make content, in my opinion. So, um, and then the, the last thing I want to say, Randy, if you want to start a YouTube channel, do it. Like, actually do it. You know how many times I've had people say, Zach, I'm going to start blank, podcast, YouTube channel, blog, whatever it is. And they don't do it. They say they're going to do it and they never start. Or they start and it's hard and they don't actually, like, if you actually want to do it, you'll continue. I did Strong Opinion Sports for a year before anybody really watched. I got, like, 12 viewers for a long time. And I did the show for free for two years because I, I love it. That's how I know I have the best job in the world. I love my job so much. I did it for free because it's my hobby that I love and I'm passionate about. That's how I know I have the greatest job in the world because I love it so much I did it for free. Now I get paid to do it. That's incredible. It's amazing. But if you, you know, you got to make sure, it's, is it really what you want? Because if you really want to do it, it won't matter that no one's watching. It won't matter that you're bad at it. It won't matter that people make fun of you. It won't matter this. All the outside bullcrap noise will not matter because it's truly what you love to do. So if you really want to do a YouTube channel, Randy, do it and follow through. Don't just say you're going to do it. Don't just buy the equipment and let it sit on a shelf. And don't just make a couple episodes and give up. If, you're, if you really want to do it, commit to it and do it for like three years before you give up. Because I'm, I'm, I'm so many times that people come up to saying, I'm going to start it. And they do two episodes and give up because it's hard and no one watched. Yeah, it's hard. And no one watched for a year and a half of me making content. Like finally got like a thousand. That was cool. I'm at a hundred thousand now. That's awesome. That's, I really have people watching and that's cool. But the first year was no one watched and I didn't do it because people watched. I do it because I loved it and I believed in it. So I hope Randy, that I hope that advice helps. Uh, Jacob says, the lions have looked good. And he goes, gasp. So <gasps> the lions look good. I'm performing for him. <laughs> so do you think this will last? And if so, what is the reason for the lion's success? Very, very um, obvious to me is that the lions have a new attitude. They're fighting this year, fighting harder than I've ever seen. When they're pushed and challenged, they punch back. And that's, that's what a football team needs to do. I know it's silly and cliche to talk about, um, you know, emotion, but football is so much about emotion. And it looks like to me the Lions have bought into their head coach, Matt Patricia. They, they believe in him. They fight hard for him. And they have hope. And when you're challenged, the question is, do you fight or do you keel over and give up? And the Lions have chosen to fight this year, which I, I haven't seen in years. It's a different culture than I've ever seen with the Lions. Times are changing. We have to accept times are changing from the Lions. They've elevated, elevated themselves. They bought into their head coach. And it's a team that wants to win and seems like they're willing to do the work to win. So the losing culture of the Detroit Lions is no more. They are changing things. And it's just a fact to me. It's not about the wins and losses, although the wins and losses are there. They, they do reflect this. They're 2-1-1. One, and one. But the Lions are putting up a fight more than I've ever seen. And that, that dog will hunt. <laughs> that... That works. And if they keep fighting, they're going to have success. I, I believe in the Lions, and I think they really are changing things. Okay, uh, Elon wrote in. Elon is the last question. 
As, by the way, I don't know how to pronounce his name. I, I tried to ask him. He didn't reply. It's an unsolved mystery. Is it Elon? Elon? It's A-L-O-N. Alon? Alon? Alan? Elon? I don't know. Maybe he likes it that way. Maybe it's a made-up name. That would make sense. Um, but I do know this guy has been a, a long, long-time supporter of Strong Opinion Sports. And it means a lot to me. It, it's very, very special to me. And I'm very grateful for that. He writes in and says, Zach, the 49ers are the only undefeated team in the NFC. What do you project their record to be? Week by week with 10 seconds of explanation. That's what he wants is a, an explanation of each, each game and why I think they'll win or lose. Also, congrats on finally reaching 100K of subs. I'm assuming that when this comes out in a few days, you'll have 100K. He also says, so that's, that's one part of the question. Um, so I, it's hard to tell with the 49ers. Uh, I think it all depends on their quarterback. And there's only, you know, they've only played three games, which I think is a, a, a disservice to the 49ers because the 49ers had a bye week early in the year while they were playing well. They didn't need a bye week. They're fine. Uh, having the early bye week, I think, is a giant disadvantage. So that's a, a struggle for the 49ers. And they've only played three games, and they've played teams that are not that impressive. They beat the Steelers, the Buccaneers, and Buccaneers when Winston, Jameis Winston was playing badly, and they beat the Bengals. So I love the roster for the 49ers, but I'm not sold at all that they're going to win and continue winning. Uh, I love their head coach, Kyle Shanahan. I love their general manager, John Lynch. I think that the 49ers have all the pieces they need, except for the quarterback. I don't know if the quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, is the guy or not. Maybe? Possibly? I don't know. Time will tell. So I ask you, before I go through the entire season and you know, re-pick who I think is going to win every 49ers game, give me two more weeks. I want to see two more games to really build a understanding of Jimmy Garoppolo. They play the Browns and the Rams next. Two good football teams. Two capable football teams. Give me two more weeks to see Jimmy Garoppolo against better teams, to get a better feel of the 49ers roster. And then I'll give you a more informed answer that you really want. Because you want an informed answer when I tell you, do I believe in the 49ers or not? Give me two weeks, anyone, and I will give you a, an in-depth topic. I'll do it on the show. It will not be an Ask Zad topic. It will be a full-on topic, maybe a film analysis about Jimmy Garoppolo. It's coming. I will give it to you. Give me two more weeks, though, to get more information and learn more about this football team that I am very fascinated about. So, Elon, hold your horses. That video will come. Elon asked another question, though, I think is really interesting and important. Because a lot of no one's ever asked me this question before, but it is uh, something I feel weird about. He says, "What happened to the 49ers Giants bet last year? Also, did you make a bragging rights bet on the 49ers record? If I win, he says, do you want to make? Uh, no. Oh no. So he says, <laughs> I didn't read the whole question. So he says, what happened to the Giants bet? The Giants 49ers bet last year, and then says, do you want to make a 49ers bet for this year? He said if you win, he says if I he says if I win. So if Elon wins." He wants me to bring back, oh my goodness, if I win, you need to be proud of yourself. Um, and you can just say, so by the way, Elon, I, you know from this episode, I brought back, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I brought it back today because it felt wrong without the, the, that on the show. So we don't need to make a bet. It's there. Um, oh, oh, he did. He says, it's all on. Oh my gosh. Oh my. Dude, I'm learning. <laughs> This probably sounds like the most mess of a podcast. This the way this has ended, you're like, what in the hell is go? I can't believe I didn't read this whole question. Elon says it's not English, it's a lawn. Quick, on sound. If you have trouble, you can say alone. Alone, alone, alone. Oh my gosh, A L O N, alone. 
His name is Alone. Or Alon. But I think it's Alone. What? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Ahlan? Ahlan? Is that how you say it? I don't know. But I'm going to figure out your name because it matters a lot to me. Okay, sorry to... Wow, what the heck is going on? Giant tangent. Here's what happened last year. I made a bet with a Giants fan and said if the Giants have a... I said if the Giants have a better record than the 49ers, I would buy that Giants fan. His name is James. A Saquon Barkley jersey. I did it all in good fun. Um, I thought it'd be a cool segment because I was like, man, if I, I can't really lose here. If I... If I have to buy the guy a jersey, that's awesome because it's a cool segment. That'd be fun. And I think I'll win. I think it was a, a bet worth a very easy bet. I thought the 49ers were better than the Giants. And the Giants actually ended up with a better record than the 49ers. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo, the 49ers quarterback, got hurt. And I think James felt weird in victory. Like, like he didn't really earn it. <laughs> like Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt. The, the, the Giants had a terrible record anyway. They were 5-11. and 11, So it's not like the Giants were way better than the 49ers. And so, like, I think he felt like he won by default. And I did reach out to him. I tried to give him a jersey, um, and he never got back to me. So I, I've reached out a couple times. James, if you're out there listening, it, I think James Chanel is his name. I think it's his name. I think it's who it is. I want to buy you a jersey. I feel weird about it. that I made this bet with you, and then you bailed on, you like bailed on the bet. And he, he did say he never had to buy me a jersey because of the Jimmy Garoppolo injury. He said that on a comment unprompted. But I think, it's, I think it'd be a cooler segment if I got to finish the story. See, look, I bought you a jersey. I, I made this bet with you last year, and I don't want to bail on the bet. I, want to, I think it's a good segment, actually. I'll spend $100 on a jersey and get it for you for a cool segment. That, that's fun to me. That sounds cool. So I feel kind of weird about the whole situation. I have tried to get him a jersey. James, if you're out there listening, contact me. Hit me up. I want to buy you a jersey. I don't know how to get in touch with you and really make it clear that, like, I don't know how to verify that you're who you are, but I think, I think there's a DM service on YouTube. Send me your name send me like i want to get you a, if it's possible i want to get you a jersey because i thought that segment was weird it never got a follow-up okay guys that's all i have um that's probably about 10 minutes too long in the podcast i really appreciate you guys uh i'm so grateful for you guys watching and following uh let me look if we're at a hundred thousand yet because we were like really close i'm gonna refresh it and we are at a hundred thousand subscribers my gosh that, so I just found out live on the I guess not live, live, but while I recorded, I just found out. <sighs> oh, amazing, man. That That's so cool. Thank you so much, guys, for watching and listening. I really appreciate you guys. This one's drug on a little bit at the end. I'm sorry. Um, I'm so very grateful for your support. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Ba-dum-bum. Bam. We are done. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is my podcast, Strong Opinion Sports. It is my favorite thing in the entire world. And you may not know, um, my dream when I graduate college eventually is to do this show as my full-time job. Uh, now, I also want to be very upfront and honest about my plan and what's going on. I recently monetized my YouTube channel. What that means is that some of my videos make money through ad revenue. Uh, now, it's fewer than you think. A lot of my videos get claimed. Um, but in the past, I've received donations through the form of PayPal and Patreon.com. PayPal.me forward slash Zach Schaumler. Patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. So because I'm making ad revenue, it felt weird to just get donations. I wanted to give something back to the people who support me on Patreon. So now there's a reward. If you support me on Patreon, you can submit questions at the, at the dollar level or above. You just need to give a dollar a month. If you do that, 
you can submit questions to a pool of questions where I look at. I read all the questions on Patreon, and I pick the top couple every episode and read them and answer them on a, a segment called Ask Zach. Pick the top couple questions um, and answer them at the end of every single episode. Now, that's for people who want to support me with money. If you have no money to give, I totally understand. I've actually never supported anybody on Patreon. I feel kind of weird about that. I'm a broke college kid myself. I totally understand. Um, but if you believe in me and you, if you believe in my dream and still want to help me, one thing you can do is help me grow by telling your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. Share it on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it is. Help me grow by telling your friends about Strong Opinion Sports. Guys, thank you so much. I know that was a long spiel. I really appreciate it. And uh, hope you have a great day.